This episode of the Minimalist Podcast is brought to you by nobody because advertisements do suck. Now, I think that would have been louder if you didn't have masks on. I'm sorry about that, but I agree with you. Advertisements do suck. Mm. By the way, I'm Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus. And together, we are the Minimalists live in Boston. It is so cool that you showed up. I, am, uh, I know these times are very uncertain. Ryan and I have been doing this for a while. As I mentioned earlier when I was in the book reading, this is our 10th tour in 12 years. And we were here, we've been here a bunch of times uh, in Boston, but I remember coming here in 2014 and uh, Jay Nash opened that show as well. We were in like this weird co-working space. That's when all of our events were free and we slept in Ryan's Toyota Corolla. <laughs> It was our tour bus. <laughs> I, yeah, I remember that. Like, uh, man, we, we, we had room for like 300 people and like 700 people showed up or something. <laughs> yeah, was, uh, and, and so I'm really grateful you decided to spend some money to be here tonight because we actually get to stay in a hotel room. And um, we even... Separate hotel rooms. <laughs> <laughs> our business model back then was... Um, all right, Ryan, if we sell enough copies of our book tonight, we can, we can split a hotel room. Um, and sometimes, if that didn't work, we would ask people if we could stay there. And if that didn't work, it was usually sleeping at a rest stop in Ryan's Corolla. And now here we are. Um, we have a special guest for you tonight. I don't even know how to introduce her. She's one of the most famous comedians in the world. She has a wonderful podcast called Losers with a Dream. She's one of our favorite podcast guests. You've probably heard her on the Minimalist podcast. Please welcome to the stage the queen of meaning, Lisa Lampanelli. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're fucking awesome. That was great. Oh my God, how much you love the freaking minimalist? Come on. Oh, keep going. No, shut up. You guys, they changed my freaking life, and I'm not even lying to you. One year ago, I, my mother was in an assisted living. Um, she passed three months after, but I had moved into her house because I always felt like it was home, and literally, one year ago, maybe to this day, I started decluttering all my stuff. I mean, I had four houses worth of shit. I thought I was a big shot. And I was like, you know what? If it's not something that has meaning to me, like you say, beauty or use or both, I'm getting rid of it. So I am uh, thankful to you for forever changing my life. I love you guys. Seriously. We love you. Yay. Wow. Wow. Well, we are really here for y'all tonight. So um, I know we have a microphone that's set up somewhere. I thought it was in the middle, but oh, here comes, ladies and gentlemen, podcast, Sean. Yes. Yeah. The, the man behind the minimalists. <laughs> Our factotum, the man who does everything we don't want to do. 
Sean, we love you, man. Also, everything we can't do. Everything we can't do as well, yeah. <laughs> and um, so we have a microphone here. Here's what tends to happen. One person breaks the seal, and then about 400 people line up behind them. And so <laughs> that one person has to, has to come up. And you can ask questions literally about anything tonight if you want to talk about any of the relationships that are in the new book, Love People Use Things. You have a question about, you know, the last few nights we've had quite a few questions about careers and education, and that was, that's been really fascinating. But if you have questions about our emotional attachment to stuff, we're all yeah. here for that. Yeah. Howdy. Definitely deserves applause for being the first one up. Woo! Yeah. What's your name, brother? Uh, I'm Jess. Oh. oh, welcome. Uh, <laughs> holy moly. What's on your mind, brother? Went through a challenging divorce, but I ended up in an amazing relationship with an amazing woman who's here tonight. It's our second um, anniversary of being together. Congrats, man. And That's awesome. Yeah. I'm not even sure I've got a question, but I just want to say thank you to you both for everything that you brought. We, we list, you know, it's really helped us both just with, as you say, the declutter's the start, and then just working on the relationship and the emotions. And um, Okay, I got a question. All right? Yeah. We have differences of opinion, like myself and, and Rebecca. It's, it's weird, right? We don't think the same way. And at times I get kind of uh, self-righteous and angry about it uh, because I think, you should know this. You should know this. So I just want to know if there's any advice that you could give me for, to not be such a self-righteous pain in the ass and angry at times. <laughs> well, well, sir. Uh, <laughs> as a self-righteous pain in the ass... I can tell you, you either stay single or you change. <laughs> I chose to stay single because I'm fucking awesome. But, no, but I, in all seriousness, I respect the fact that you want to change it all. That's a beautiful thing. I love that. Guys, you have very good relationships, not only with each other, sharing a hotel room, you freaking psychotics. But also with women. You know how to tell women. We don't best. share women. Well, no, I didn't mean to say one! Okay. That'd, be, that'd be like, oh, we're minimalist, here's our wife. <laughs> is that like reverse Mormonism? <laughs> well, sir, admitting it is the first step, so you've done that. Oh, man. Uh, I, there's something I've had to accept, like with my wife and I, um, which, which I'm very happy to accept, is that any relationship. Um, well, first off, I've realized that I, too, was the asshole in the relationship. And, and, and admitting that and, and understanding that no matter who I bring into my life, I'm going to have to do some type of work. There's no, we, I think we have this thing in our head where, where there are a bunch of shoulds. Sh you know, she should know this, she should know that, or this relationship should be this way. And, uh, and I'm totally ripping this off from Josh, but like, I don't look at them like there are, there are shoulds. There are some coulds. And to get there, I have to not be an asshole. So I go, I go way out of my way. Be, and really, it really starts with, with Mariah, like when it comes to my romantic relationship. She goes way out of her way to like support me, to um, help me do what I am passionate about, to, uh, to just give as much as she can. And because she does that, like I look for reasons to go out of my way for her. And we don't keep track. Um, she'd be winning if we did. Uh, but, but, but because of me really putting in that effort and realizing it is some effort. And, and, and I, 
I, I wish I could sit here and be like, well, this is how you don't have to work too hard in a relationship. Relationships are hard, man. Like, they just, they just are. Mariah and I, like, literally, we met on OkCupid. And uh, with the algorithm, we matched at, like, 93%. And it's pretty freaking spot on. Which, which, by the way, if you were to tell me, like, you know, back in 2001, like, when I opened up my AOL account... Like, hey, you're going to meet the love of your life on the internet. I'd be like, how freaking desperate am I going to be? <laughs> like, wow, I feel sad for that future rhyme. But anyway, we matched it about 93%. And it's, it's really, really accurate. We do match it about 93%. And I, cu- I couldn't imagine having a better woman in my life, a better partner in my life. Um, so, you know, I, 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 take, I take that good and I use that to really set my context of giving to set my context of compassion, because you can never go wrong. But like anytime I feel like I want to, and I do sometimes, I'm not perfect, but anytime I want to like project that, that angst or that frustration, I have to like change my context to uh, compassion rather than, than angst. And that really helps me kind of set the tone. And again, not perfect at it, but um, I do, I, I, I have more wins than losses when it comes to that area for sure. Wow. In the book, we have this um, acronym, TARA, T-A-R-A. And it's really about understanding other people. And there are sort of four steps toward truly understanding someone. It starts with tolerating them because sometimes they'll show up and I think my self-righteousness comes out, oh, you should already know this or you should be doing this this way. And it's easy for me to get really annoyed. But I have to realize, well, no, I have to tolerate that the fact that they are going to be different. You said a difference of opinion. Yeah, for sure. But there are also going to be different beliefs, different dogmas, different baggage that we bring into a relationship. And we bring our whole past with us. We drag it. We cling to that past. And so one of the ways is to understand that the other person also has that baggage, the dogma, the beliefs, the opinions, the ideologies. Now, I've done my best to let go of those things or at least bare minimum loosen my grip. Immediately that loosens my grip on my self-righteousness as well. If I'm no longer clinging to what I believe and this is the way things should be, right? This is how it's supposed to be. No, no, no. This is one way. But tolerance is a weak first step. It's a first step and it's an important one, but if we stay there, it actually makes us miserable because you get what you tolerate. And so I've been in relationships before where uh, I have tolerated a bunch of nonsense in that relationship, some, some bad behavior, some mistreatment. And if you tolerate that mistreatment in a relationship, you'll get a whole lot more of it. In fact, it will tend to be amplified because they know that you're willing to tolerate it. However, tolerating their beliefs, their opinions is a first step. If we stay there, we get dragged. Beyond that, it's a T-A-R-A. So the second, the second letter is an A there for accepting. Accepting them for who they are without trying to change them. That's love, by the way. Because as soon as we try to change someone, what does that mean? Oh, that's conditional love. No such thing as conditional love. Love predicated on conditions is just like. And nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's really important that I like my wife. One might even argue it's even more important. Because if you don't like the person you're with, then, oh, it's going to be hard to tolerate, right? But accepting them. Beyond that, it's respecting them. Even their quirks, their flaws, their warts. Respecting the fact that they are a different human being an individual, separate from you, right? There's no such thing as a relationship. There's just two people who interact with each other. There's not this third thing out there called a relationship. We call it a relationship when two people are interacting. And then finally, and this is the most difficult one, 
appreciation. And if you can, like Ryan and I, not only are we radically different in terms of personality, like if you uh, look at us on a Myers-Briggs test, we're literally the exact opposite. Politically, we vote for different people. Um, we have different beliefs about certain viruses and so forth. Um, <laughs> and I have no desire to change him, and, and, and likewise, because to ch want to change him means I don't love who he is. And it's possible to not like something about someone, but love all of that human being. Thanks for being here, brother. Hey, awesome. Yeah. Thank you, all three of you. Thank you. Thanks, man. Howdy. Hey, guys. Uh, What's my your name? name? My name's Troy. Hey, Troy. Troy. Nice to meet you guys. Uh, I also want to say that about five years ago when I first stumbled upon you guys, you guys also changed my life and my life. I'm uh, forever grateful for that, so thank you. Thanks, man. So I, uh, because of so many of your teachings and from some other people that you guys introduced me to, like Orion Holiday or Matt Devella, I left my big corporate job a year ago. I worked at ESPN, so like this big name brand company that everyone knows. Uh, but I left, started my own business. I'm a podcast producer, so shout out podcast Sean. I respect the grind. Yeah. And um, the business has done insanely well in a year, exceeded my expectations. And uh, so I've got a, a bunch of people who, who want to work with me. And I'm a people pleaser, and uh, I'm ambitious, and I want to say yes to everything. People want to give you money. They want to they talk to you, set up meetings. But you can't say yes to everything. And I'm sure you guys also know that you know, a lot of people ask you to do things, make appearances, go on podcasts, whatever. So how do you choose the right things to say yes to and the right things to say no to? Can I take a stab? Absolutely. I, I assume I, Lisa has much more of this problem than Ryan and I do. Yes. No, um, I also retired five years ago from very public career. Now I do things like show up at shows unannounced for free. <laughs> We yeah, it's you, okay. We pay you in hugs. You're sleeping in the car tonight, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, I, but I, the way I judge now, because I get hit up a lot for interviews, I get hit up a lot for, you know, oh, can you help me? Can you read my book and give it a review? Like, all that stuff. And I honestly, I object to the, if it's a hell yeah, it's a yes. No. To me, hell yeah is out of habit. Meaning... In the old days, it's like, it might feel like a yes because of this bad pattern I had of being a people pleaser for so long. Now it's like, sit with it for 24 hours at least. Go, is this something that feels good in my soul? Not up here, in here, and then make the decision. Because a lot of people with that Psych 101 kind of buzzwordy kind of thing of like, if it's a big yes, say yes. It might just be a pattern. So I would say if I was an advice giver, which I try not to be, but I'm a recovering advice giver, I would say that 24 hours isn't gonna turn anybody off, it's not gonna kill anyone. And also lastly, look inside of you and fix that part first and it'll stop being an issue in a few years. Because if I look at why I said yes, it was out of lack, oh I'm not good enough, maybe this will give my life meaning, and it never works, it never fills the hole. So work on you, take a little time, and I think the right stuff will come into your orbit. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Cool. You know, I, um, 
I was very good at saying yes as well, because it's so easy, right? Because usually when I'm saying yes, I'm actually just committing my future self to something. I don't even have to do anything right now. <laughs> yeah, put it on the calendar for next Wednesday. I'll deal with it then, right? And then next Wednesday shows up, I'm like, mother <laughs> why did I say yes to this, right? And I don't want to like piss them off, so okay, I guess I'm going to go ahead and... and that became a pattern. I started punting, and all of a sudden, I'm saying yes to a, a thing a year from now that I know I'm not going to want to do because that pattern develops, that habit, as you said. And I'm saying yes because I feel like for some reason it's going to be a hell yeah for my future self, even though today it'd be like, ah, I wouldn't want to do it right now in this moment. <laughs> well, that's an indicator, man. Right. That's an indicator. And what does that do? We talk about clutter all the time, but material clutter, that's one kind of clutter. You know what's worse than that? calendar clutter mm -hmm. because I can't simply let go of all the things I've obligated myself to without also letting down everyone who I've said yes to. And so the best way to avoid that is to say no up front. And here's another thing that I do all the time is I don't punt it anymore. Oh yeah, ask me in six months. No, because then I'm still obligating right. myself <laughs> in six months from now. And so it's hey, this sounds like an awesome opportunity. Here's what I'm actually saying yes to right now, and that's why I have to say no to that. And so instead of simply saying no, 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 there's a tactful way to say, oh, I'd love to do that, but here's what I am saying yes to. And if you can say that, people understand because they know your most precious resource is not your money, it's not even your time, although that's really important. It's not your energy, that's important too. Your skills, important resource. Your most important resource is your attention. And so if you want to show up for people, you don't just want to show up with your time. You want to be able to give them your attention. 30 minutes of attention is so much better than just wasting three hours with someone, but you're scrolling your phone through half of it. I mean, but that being said, can we have a meeting, Jesse? Do you think that would work? For, are you Jesse? Troy. <laughs> Troy? Yeah. Fuck it. I want a meeting with you. <laughs> I imagine that yeah. you would enjoy that very much. Write it in your calendar. Like, I will, of course. You just have to learn to say, you know, yeah. no, it's true. Right. And what's practice. funny is people, if they get mad, that's their journey. I was a guest on a podcast every month for the last six months. I wasn't feeling it after the new year, and all I did was write to them respectfully, say, you know what, this isn't right for me right now. Um, I'll let you know if that changes. They were so nice, but if they hadn't been, that's their journey to figure out why they can't have no said to them. Mm -hmm. So I'm not worried about you, Troy. You're gonna be fine. Yeah. And the one thing I'll say too, like as an adult, I have learned that most people are rooting for you. Like most people wanna support you. There are some outliers, but when you tell someone no, in our minds, we're like, oh, everyone's going to be so mad at us. But, I mean, it's going to be such a small fraction of what you think it's going to be. I, I will tell you a quick story. Uh, so I met this guy in Los Angeles, and he, he does uh, graphic or, uh, like CGI graphic design stuff. And he's got like the, like the cliche L.A. story. He graduated film school in Atlanta. He moves out to L.A. He's living in a tent on the beach. And he's like trying to find work, can't find any work, living in a tent. He's dating too, by the way. Like, and his wife, like when they first started dating, had no idea that he was homeless. Like I was, that's a whole different story. I'm like, how did you get away with that? But uh, long story short, he's in his tent, 
all of a sudden, there's like a lot of people around on the beach. He pokes his head out. It's a film crew. And he's like, oh, this is, maybe this is my chance. And they were shooting a commercial. So he literally just like picks up equipment and starts working. <laughs> Walk, you know, walking stuff, setting stuff up. And it was about halfway through the day. And uh, someone looked at him and they were like, you don't work here. <laughs> he was like, no, I don't, but I'd love to. And the guy was like, I'm going to give you a chance, man. Like, I'm totally going to do that. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, it's one of the best LA stories. So, fast forward, he, you know, he's making small connections here and there. He's putting in all the effort, which I'm sure you did. Like, when you first started your business, like, you're doing as much as you can. And his stuff really started to take off. This, this guy has done um, Star Wars, uh, Star Trek, uh, like, just, like, the most recent ones over the last three or four years. I mean, he, his work is very, very uh, uh, wanted. It's very needed. And he was explaining to me how he couldn't figure out how to say, how to say no. Uh, and I didn't really have an answer for him. And I ran into him a few months later. I'm like, hey, remember that problem you had about saying no? Like, what did you do? And this, this is like the business advice that some people might feel like I'm an asshole for. He's like, I raised my prices. <laughs> I'm like, that's a great freaking way. <laughs> like, you, they'll say no. He's like, a lot of people started saying no when I raised my prices. They started saying no to me. So if you're at that spot, man, I mean, you know, you can always raise your prices, too. That's what I got for you. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Troy. Yeah. Howdy. Hi, how are you? What's your name? Kayla. Hey, hey Kayla. Kayla. You can move it down. It's fine. Just point it. There you go. <laughs> um, first What's of all, on your I mind? I just want to say thanks for coming out. I've been listening to you guys for about six years now. And um, I am a mom. I have a five-year-old son. I'm a bonus mom, actually. I met my son when he was about six months old. And um, recently, my girlfriend and I have been working on helping him declutter his stuff. <laughs> and uh, right before Christmas, we went through a lot of it and donated a lot of it. Um, he, we have a split home, too. So I know that when he goes over to his other house, it's not always that mindset as well. So my question is, how do you be a good role model or continue to be a good role model for him like when he's with us? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So I have the same problem. So I, I have a daughter. She's eight, and um, she spends half her time with her biological father. And um, I can't control what happens there, you know, within reason. I mean, if something, you know, this, she's not in an abusive situation or anything like that. But, um, so I, but I can control only what's going on in our house. And even then, I can't control the way that she feels, the way that she reacts. I also have a difficult time controlling how I react to the way that she reacts. And, it, you know, especially before she really had a, a grasp on language, you know, when she was really little, you know, kids tend to react in ways that are, well, they're, they're troubling, right? Because they, they feel like as though they can't express themselves, so they get angry, they get frustrated, they get mad, they get sad, and it manifests in, in, in different ways. And so what I've learned is that I don't, I don't have control, right? And so I've loosened my grip on wanting to change her, to make her something. It's weird because when our kids are babies, we don't try to improve them. There's no such thing as self-improvement for babies. <laughs> Can you imagine the psycho that writes a book like that? <laughs> And yet there are plenty of psychos who write self-improvement for adults. The only way to improve oneself is through subtraction, subtracting the 
poor habits, subtracting the stuff, subtracting the toxic relationships, subtracting the obligations that Troy was just talking about. Through subtraction, we find what's already there. A kid is joyous and happy. They can't pursue happiness. It can only be uncovered. So anytime when a kid isn't happy, it's the same thing with an adult, by the way, anytime any of us aren't happy, it's usually, paradoxically, because we are trying to make ourselves happy. We are attempting to acquire happiness. And we, there are various ways we do that. Status, success, possessions, money. And those things bring us pleasure, and there's nothing wrong with pleasure. But the pursuit of pleasure often gets in the way of, of living a meaningful life. So my, my role as a parent, if anything, is not to screw up my daughter. And the way that we screw up our kids is by trying to make them better or trying to make them someone who they are not. Now, that's not to say they won't become better at you know, mechanical tasks. You know, she's gotten better at soccer every year. Uh, but it's not through you need to become better. It, she's compelled to play soccer until she isn't. And I allow her to do those things that she is compelled to do. It's also our role as parents in a society to set up boundaries. No, you can't play in traffic as much as you'd like to. I, I can't tolerate that, right, because you're going to get hurt. I need to help her understand that. But besides her basic safety and her basic needs, it's not up to me to dictate every moment of every day of her life. And so it's much more about my letting go than it is teaching her to be a, a better person. Yeah. Uh, I don't have kids. Isn't it easy to like give advice on kids when you don't have any? I know. My sister hates that. <laughs> but I was just going to say, me and him have signed documents where we're not allowed to procreate. So let's leave that one to Josh because he knows everything. If I had had kids, I would have been the worst parent ever. And I'll tell you why. I would have, out of my own lack, given them too much been helicoptering them, been worried every second about their safety. I couldn't hold on loosely the way you do. So I just think, honestly, over the past few years, observing parents, and I never used to be like this. I never was mushy with parents. But now I'm like, you guys are brave. You have no idea how brave you are every day having a kid and just sending them out into the world and trying to do the right thing. So I really applaud you as a parent, and I love that you even asked this question. No, it's, you know, the, the one thing I always kind of revert to is Joshua Becker. He talks about, um, you know, our kids don't do what we tell them to do. They do what we do. Mm-hmm. And the best way to be a, role, a good role model is, you know, live a meaningful life. And, like, your kid will pick up on that. Sure, they're going to test boundaries. You know, they're going to get away with stuff at the other parent's house that they won't get away with at your place. But that's okay. Um, the other thing I'll say, too, is uh, so... Will Smith just wrote a book. It's really good. Um, but he, he, there's a story in there about him uh, trying to like encourage his daughter to be a pop star. And she was really popular like a few years ago. Like she was super popular. And there was one particular time where she like got done with the show and she and he's like, "How did I go?" She's like, "It went great." And she was like, "I'm done though." And he was like, "You're done." And she's like, "Yeah, I'm done." He's like, "But you have like ten more cities to go to." Like, you, you can't be done. And the long story short is she, like, she had this song about flipping her hair around, you know? Mm-hmm. She, sh- she shaved her head. <laughs> and now she can't go on tour. 
But what he realized, what he talks about, which I just appreciate so much, and if I do ever break that contract and have kids, <laughs> it's, a, it's about, you know, a kid, uh, you know, it's, it's like, think about like when you plant a seed. Let's say I gave you some seeds and you didn't know what they were. And I was like, hey, go home and grow this. And it starts growing into like an apple tree. And you're like, oh, no, I want a pear tree. So then somehow you try to like try and force it to be something it isn't. It will never be a pear tree. So the lesson that he really gave there was, you know, figure out what that seed is sprouting into and support it as much as it can to help it be the best apple tree it can be. I'm going to keep talking. (laughs) You keep talking? No. I know. (laughs) So you reminded me with the Joshua Becker thing you talked about. Our friend Rob Bell, has, he, uh, he has this great audio book. It, the book doesn't exist. He just made this audio book. It's uh, called Launching Rockets, and it's 17 observations about parenting. And I, yeah, I got so much value from it. But he begins the audio book with this line, you are always teaching your kids, and sometimes it's with words. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I noticed this early on when I would like, tell Ella to like, use your fork when you're eating. But then I'm like grabbing a piece of broccoli off her mom's plate myself and like eating it with my hand. And she's learning from my actions much more than if I talk to her about what she should do. Kids learn from full immersion. One other thing, the problem is almost never the problem. Last night we were... um, so we just started back the, the second half of this Love People Use Things tour. Two nights ago, it was January 6th. We were in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. There was an insurrection of love and joy. Oh, yes. And um, then last night, we were in New York City. And the very first question was this uh, young transgender boy. His name was Matthew. And he was up there talking about his mom. Who, who he brought with, with him. His mom didn't understand why, you know, he's a minimalist now and he's always dressing in black shirts. <laughs> and of course, like, that disagreement about the black shirts was the acceptable disagreement between the two of them. And there was so much more going on sort of behind the black shirt, the struggling with acceptance. And um, you could see it right there. The mom actually came up at night, or at, at, at the end of uh, Matthew's question and just gave him the biggest hug. She was crying, and she, because Matthew was like, she doesn't understand, you know, that I just like to dress in all black. And I'm like, that's not really the problem. But she understands now. And quite often we mask our problems by bickering about these little nuances, nonsense, the small things because we're afraid to talk about the big things. But if we can talk about those big things, we can, well, as we talk about in the book, kill Godzilla before it's taken over the city. Kill Godzilla when Godzilla is a baby. Don't wait till it's breathing fire onto your, onto your building. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Howdy. Hi. 
I'm Donna. I'm from Providence. Donna? Um, yes. And um, I'm really pleased to meet all of you. Namaste. Yeah. I've taken yoga for many years, part of my simplifying and uh, improving my life. Um, Beautiful. So uh, my journey began 30 plus years ago when I, at that time, was in my 20s and bought a 14-room house that needed a lot of work. Um, so lots of changes in my life went through. And I now live in a studio apartment, and I don't even have a separate bedroom, um, which is a little small for me, but it's, it's fine. It's been almost four years. I, I am trying to get mm. something bigger. But um, so I, I also improved within five years of starting my own business as a, a house cleaner, something that I should have done a long time ago. I am a creative person by heart, and I didn't realize how much I hated desk jobs and just confined spaces and dealing with the regular public and all of that, how much I hated it. So um, it came to kind of a dead end. And then I just said, what can I do? And I just started house cleaning and amassed five, 35 star reviews within five, th three years rather. So um, wow. yeah, so, and I never look for work anymore. I've gotten tons of compliments and I get texts that say, we love you and tons of bonuses and cards and chocolates and things. And so it's made me very happy. <laughs> um, but uh, some sadness has come into my life within the last four plus years, my dad passed away. Um, and so I guess part of my question is that because I've reduced, I don't have a lot of space, um, it turned into uh, a, a big project, um, which is pretty done now, but there is still a lot of stuff left of my dad's, and I just don't know what your opinion would be or your thoughts on uh, what do you do in a case like that. I mean, I'm trying to keep some things, sentimental things. I can't keep everything. I really am. I had a wave the other day in, th in thoughts of possibly trying to move to just, I don't know, just clear out more, and it's hard because, you know, it's just sentimental, so. I don't know what you would say about those things. <laughs> well, having gone through it first with my dad five years ago um, and with my mom now, and I bought their house, so I live in my childhood home, and it's so much my mom and dad, and it's just so, feels so good. Um, but I always know when I get quiet what thing to get rid of that week or that day. You'll just, I, I'm... I don't, I, they, they might disagree with me, but I can't be in a hurry with it. I have to just go, one, I think these guys said, if you don't, you'll, we all know the how. Yeah, get a dumpster and get rid of it. But if you don't know the why, it comes back in. So you'll just clutter it up again with other meaningless stuff. So I think when it comes to grief, because grief has no timetable, I think you're gonna know it when you know it when they were joking about CDs and VHSs and things like that. I literally have a rack. I kept about a quarter of my mom's VHSs. It looks really cute because it's the one she loved the most. And I said, will they be there forever? Probably not. But if they are, are they hurting me? No, if they do, then they have to go and I'll know the why. So I think don't be hard on yourself. Take your time but recognize when the shift is taking place so you don't, quote unquote, wallow. So you'll, you'll know, you're, I mean, if you take yoga this seriously, which you obviously do, you know in your heart when it's time to let go, sure. you know? And I, I don't envy you going through it, but 
you got a sister in it because I am too. So, you know, you'll do the right thing. Thanks. It's spot on. The, the, the how-to is not going to be helpful because Ryan could give you a how-to, like his packing party, right, and, and say get rid of all the stuff, and then you end up regretting that and then feeling resentful, well, toward Ryan, or, or uh, <laughs> which is okay, but um, uh, you wouldn't be the first person. <laughs> Uh, but you really would feel resentful toward yourself, right? And so that's why the how needs to be birthed out of the why. My mom, 14 years ago, found out she had stage four lung cancer, and um, this was 2008, and, and she was down in, uh, she had just moved down to St. Petersburg, Florida to finally retire on Social Security. She found this, the, the perfect place to be, this little one-bedroom apartment, and so she crammed 64 years worth of stuff into a tiny one-bedroom apartment. And uh, shortly after she moved down there, she found out, and then she spent the next eight months or so going through chemo and radiation, and then eventually she passed. And I spent a lot of time with mom that year in Florida as she sort of struggled through that whole process. And when she passed, I needed to make one more visit down to Florida. It was to deal with all of her stuff. And, and that was sort of the impetus of all of this, because I'm going through all of her things, and I didn't have enough room in my big-ass house for all her things, so it was rent a giant truck, rent a giant storage locker with climate control because her stuff needs to be comfortable and uh, just lock it away in perpetuity. It wasn't really, I wasn't getting value from it. What I was really doing was I was creating a mausoleum of stuff. And maybe once a year I'd go visit it and look at it or something, theoretically, although if I'm being honest with myself, I was never going to. I was just going to pay a few hundred dollars a month to waste that money to store things I wasn't getting any value from. And worse, and this is what Lisa alluded to here, the stuff wasn't the problem. It was the cost of the stuff, not just the, the monetary cost, but the emotional, the psychological, the mental clutter that holding on to those things create. All that space it takes up in the back of your mind. And so when you let go of the stuff, it's not really about letting go of the physical possessions, that's helpful. It allows you to move into a studio apartment. But it also is about freeing up that space in your heart to make room for the things that are truly important to you. Now, that's not to say that I didn't hold on to some of mom's stuff. I certainly did. Here's the paradox of minimalism, though. Whether it's sentimental items like my mom's stuff or just everyday useful items, by owning fewer things, I get far more value from those fewer things than if I were to water them down with 10,000 or 100,000 trinkets that simply get in the way. Because what is clutter? Clutter is simply holding on to things that no longer add value and get in the way of the things that do. And if the things that you're holding on to are clutter because they're getting in the way, well, then that is a sign that you can begin to let go, and then once you do, you'll realize, oh, the things that remain, because we're not the deprivationists, we're not about getting rid of everything, we're not monks or ascetics, and I think it's important to make that distinction, because having those few things left, you actually amplify those. You get far more meaning and joy and sentimental value from those things than if you were to have everything weighing you down. The deprivationists.com was taken, so we went with the minimalists. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> oh, this reminds me, uh, I went down, um, 
my uh, grandfather passed away a few years ago, and my grandma had to sell her house and downsize. And she was like, "You should come down. Like, you'd be the perfect person to help me help me downsize." And I am not the perfect person to help you downsize because I'm I'm very blunt, and uh, my patience with it is like. I mean, I was able to conjure that context of compassion, um, but it's not something I love to do with, with my grandma helping her get rid of her stuff because it's a process. It's a huge process. But I remember as I was like helping her get rid of everything, she has this collection of Steins. She's from Germany. Like she's, um, she moved over here when she was like 19 years old. Um, so she was like born and raised there. And I was like admiring her collection. And she, was, she saw me looking at it. She was like, you should take all those Steins. And I'm like, <clears throat> I'm like, Oma, I love you. I was like, and that's an amazing offer. I was like, I will take one of them. And the reason why I bring this up is because, like Josh said, we're not the deprivationists. Like, I, I, I like having that sentimental stein. I mean, I use it. I put some, like, change and, you know, it's random stuff in there. Um, but I look at that, and it reminds me of my Oma. And it makes me think of all the awesome times we had. And, like, I totally understand that, like, my memories are not in that stein, but, but things can certainly trigger memories. And I would feel the same way if I, actually I would feel worse, if I had took, taken that whole collection, well now I've got a whole collection of steins and I gotta display them and I gotta worry about if I got space for them. Where now I have that one sentimental thing, I look at it, it triggers memories all the time, it's a beautiful thing. But if I had all those steins, it would, it would actually be doing the opposite. It would be causing me a lot, a lot of stress. So. It's okay to hold on to you know a sentimental thing or two, but yeah, holding on to a hoard of sentimental items, there's not much sentiment in that. Right. Yeah. Thank you, Donna. Thank Thanks. You. Thank you. Howdy. Hi. Hi. What's your name? I'm, I'm Melissa. I'm really hey, nervous. What's um, that? Melissa. I'm really nervous. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> Me too. Uh, <laughs> um. So I'm kind of a baby minimalist. I won one of your books through an Optimal Living Daily podcast, Instagram. Oh, Justin's contest. the best. Um, so that's cool. But I have three roommates and two cats. So we have a lot of stuff. And my roommates are, they're great, but they're maximalists. <laughs> and it's kind of been tough for me to be out of their influence of, you know, going shopping, buying new clothes, buying new stuff for the kitchen, even though our kitchen is overflowing. Um, so how do you deal with that? How do you deal with living with maximalists when you're trying to be a minimalist? And, and it's a problem. This stuff is a problem for you, right? For me, not yeah. for anyone else. No, I know. I, yeah, and that, that's a great distinction. I'm glad that you realize that because quite often, this question, you're not asking the question this way, and I applaud you for this. Quite, quite often people come up to the mic and they'll say, so how do I force my roommates to get rid of their stuff? <laughs> or how can I convince them? And to convince someone is to unlove them in a way, right? Now, it doesn't mean they can't be inspired. In fact, when Ryan and I, before the whole minimalist thing, I never jumped up and said, look at me, I'm becoming a minimalist, and you should too. You got way too much stuff, Ryan. Hurry up, get rid of all of your things. Let me help you get rid of your stuff. Let's do a packing party. No, he came to me, and it opened up the door. So if they are inspired by your version of intentional living, by your version of simple living, and it opens a door for a conversation, wonderful. However, it's likely that that won't happen. For every Ryan in my life, there were 10 or 20 or 100 other people who were like, what the hell is that? 
Or when they did ask me, like, why the hell are you so happy? And I explained the whole minimalism thing, and they're like, well, I could never do that. Yeah, as you say. And, and so it's not up to me to convince them. And so you, you, have a few, you have a few options right now. One is if it's really bothering you, well, you can either make peace with it, you can tolerate it. You tolerate it, you're going to get more of it. And if it continue, you continue to get more of it, it's probably going to continue to bother you. Or you can find a way out. It doesn't mean tomorrow you move out, but it does mean that at some point it might make sense for you if the cost-benefit analysis is I will benefit more greatly by leaving, then, yeah, I would, I would find a way out. I've only had roommates once in my life. It was Ryan and, and uh, our good friend Colin Wright. We lived together for about a year. And um, it, they were the best roommates I could have ever asked for, but I would never have roommates again. <laughs> and so I had to plan accordingly to sort of be able to walk away from that. I had to budget in order to make sure like, oh yeah, I can't afford to live in a house by myself right now. What would it take? What's the cost of my freedom of being able to walk away from that? And in a way, it actually made my relationship with Ryan and Colin even better because I didn't have to be around them all the time. Can I address the, you brought up shopping as an activity. It's so funny, a week ago today, I threw this birthday dinner for my friend who turned 30 because I consider myself the world's oldest millennial because I freaking love people in their 30s. People my age, I can't stand. Anyway, long story, they don't change their pain in the ass. Anyway, so we have this party and part of this party is because he really likes to shop, this guy Bobby. And we go to the uh, Foxwoods or Mohegan, one of those places that has outlet malls. And we're walking around trying things on, this, that, the other. And I'm noticing because I'm 60 and can afford stuff, I feel like I should buy this fake fur vest, even though there's 14 effing coats in my closet. The thing that stopped me was, I said, I got to sh do a show with these guys in a week. How can I look them in the eyes with this dumb fur vest? The point was, when I put it back... I had to examine why I was uncomfortable not getting it, why I, was why I was compelled to almost get it, and not just view this as a fun little journey and a fun little activity with friends. So I don't think you can't go shopping with your friends. We just have to examine what compels us to overspend or buy things we don't need. And putting ourselves in the lion's mouth in a way going into the mall is kind of good practice for going, oh, I can just enjoy their company. I can enjoy a coffee with them. I don't have to buy. And what is that compulsion saying about me? So if you like to do that, that's great. Or you don't have to. So does that make sense to you guys? You know, so you, all right, so you want your roommates to respect your boundaries, to respect your space. And you have to do the same thing with them. So, I mean, if I was in your shoes, I would go out of my way to respect them as much as possible because once you put that effort in, then you can go to them and say, hey, um, I really go out of my way to like, respect your boundaries and, and, and your space. Um, there's one thing I really would love for you to do. Would you be willing to? And then ask them if they're willing to uh, help you with one of your boundaries. But 
you know, as far as like the kitchen stuff goes, yeah, it's a common space. Um, there's probably a compromise somewhere there. But when you go out of your way to support other people, um, that totally gives you the permission to go to them and then ask for support. That's great. Thank Thanks, you. Melissa. Appreciate Thank it. You. Howdy, hey, howdy. Uh, my name is Michael. Um, I'm from what is New York Michael? City. Yeah, Michael. Good to meet yep. you, man. And, what's um, on your mind? Sorry? So what's on your mind? What's on my mind? I live with seven boys. Um, that's all I have to say. I have another question. But um, <laughs> So I'm 23 years old. I've been listening to you guys for like five years now. And, you know, oh, you've wow. changed my life. So thank you very much. Oh, dude, um, that's awesome. You know, you guys, you know, did the uh, push the energy forward. But um, one issue that I see moving forward with um, people my age is the um, technology. We use our phones so much. You know, I have an 18-year-old sister. She uses her phone. I've seen 11 hours in a day, which is probably two-thirds of your waking hours, and probably less for her because she, you know, sleeps like you know 11 to 10 hours, 11 to 12 hours a day. But what do you guys? How do you guys like approach that? Yo, big issue. We have, you know, the material aspects of our lives now, or then, I think, and now we have this huge, you know, immaterial clutter of, you know, social media, you know, dating apps, files on our computers. What do you guys think about that? I think it has a lot to do with fear. We are afraid of something. Quite often it's boredom, our own attention, our own thoughts. We're afraid of, well, making something meaningful in our lives, finding meaning. And so we pacify ourselves, as Ryan talked about during his talk. We distract ourselves. In fact, one of the, the chapters in the book is about our relationship with creativity. But really, you can't talk about creativity without talking about your relationship with distractions. And today, our biggest weapon of mass distraction is technology. It's this little glowing screen that we take everywhere. The, there's a, um, one of the C-level uh, uh, executives at Google, he called the smartphone the 79th organ. How dystopian is that? You know, we, we're so afraid that like, we're going to become augmented biohumans. It's already there. It's attached to us all the time. You leave your house, what do you panic if you don't have it on you the same way as if you were missing a finger or something. And, and yet it's always there and it's giving everyone access to you as well. And so in a weird way, we've become more connected than ever, but we've disconnected from that which is meaningful, that which is intentional, that which we want to pursue because we're now saying yes to everyone else's urgency. Just because something is urgent for the person next to you or the person down the block or the person somewhere else in the world, because it comes up in your Twitter feed or shows up on TikTok, doesn't mean that it is, in, that it is going to immediately be urgent for you. In fact, the opposite is also true. Just because something is urgent doesn't mean it's important. Most of the urgent things in our lives are rarely ever important. And so we're focused so much on these things that we feel we need to do. People flooding our inboxes, asking for our attention, asking for our attention on the timeline on social media. They're making their, the things that are important to them urgent to us. But stepping back and realizing the reason I'm on Instagram or TikTok or anything else all the time, 
your sister's 18 and she's on you know, these social media apps 11 hours a day or dating apps or whatever, 11 hours a day, is because right now, that's what she finds the most compelling. Now, it's not completely her fault. A, she's been programmed by a society who all finds that equally compelling. But also, these corporations are multi-billion or in some cases trillion dollar organizations who employ really well-paid statisticians, demographers, data scientists, algorithm scientists, simply to aggregate your sister's eyeballs onto their product, to keep her there longer. And until she recognizes that, of course it's going to be compelling. So the question isn't, how do I deal with this? When my mom got cancer, we didn't ask, how do you deal with it, right? The question is, how do you eradicate it? And the only way to eradicate this type of cancerous distraction is to find something that is so much more compelling. And only she can determine what is more compelling to her. Only you can determine what's more compelling to you than that endless stream of distractions and interruptions. And if you find what is so compelling, you won't even be thinking about, like I'm not thinking about my Instagram account right now, right? But I'm sure when we get back to our hotel room, our separate hotel rooms, <laughs> I will twitch for it because in that moment, it'll be like, oh, this seems compelling right now. But if I realize that, no, that's not the most compelling thing for me, then it's easy to, to set it down. First off, Michael, how dare you come up here and have nicer hair than me? <laughs> <laughs> you're, in, you're, you're a minimalist, man. That's what it takes. It takes really awesome hair to, to be a minimalist. Yeah. Clearly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I, I don't have, like, any advice. I mean, I can talk about kind of how I avoid that distraction. I mean, minimalism is, you know... The stuff is the Trojan horse, but it's really about just living an intentional life. When I saw minimalism, it was like, oh, here's a bunch of common sense stuff that, unfortunately, you know, common sense just isn't that common these days. So it really helped me get back that common sense. And with that comes some boundaries that I got to set up. I have to be an adult and set up some boundaries, and it's, and it's difficult. Um, so, yeah, I set up boundaries like, you know, no, no TVs in the bedroom, no phones in bed. Um, I will, like, if my, my, cause I'm really bad about it. Like I'll be, my wife and I'll be watching a movie or something and I'll reach for my phone, like just to check if there's a text message or a notification. And she was like, are you like, you're really getting on your phone? And I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't even realize I was doing it. So like, I'll set my phone aside, like we have a spot, like I'll set my phone while we watch movies. So setting those boundaries have really helped, but you obviously can't set boundaries for your sister. The only thing you can do for your sister, man, is like just be there for her as much as possible. Yeah. When she gets away from that screen and she interacts with you, then like take full advantage of that. But the other thing too I would say is there's no reason to judge her. Like Josh said, like if that's what is the most compelling thing to her, then great. I mean, if that's truly what she wants to do with her time, if it's costing her something more though, if it's costing her some kind of discontent or some kind of frustration, and she asks you for help, then yeah, help her out. But if that's what she wants to do, there's no, there's no reason to judge her for being on her phone for 11 hours. Would I do that? No. Would you do that? No. But maybe that's what she wants to do with her time, and that's okay. Do you really live with seven guys? 
That's wild. Wow. That's a lot. It's like living with a bunch of feral children. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I totally empathize with your concern for your sister. I watch TikTok and I just feel like I'm getting dumber and dumber as I scroll. So it never lasts more than five or so. And by the way, I'm really smart and really funny and I don't understand half of it because I'm like, is this supposed to be funny or sexy? What is happening in the world? It's so weird. But I applaud you for caring about your sister because let me tell you something. Those are the relationships that really do last forever, in my experience at least. I still look up to my little brother, my sister, so I think it's beautiful you're in her life. So just continue that. And also, I'm not one of those people who ever hung out with famous people. So what I say next, you should take with a grain of salt. I had one magical, fun night with Vince Vaughn and his fiance. And a, a, a mutual friend introduced us. That is not a humble brag. I never meet anybody famous. I'm like a D-level uh, fame. Do you know Vince Vaughn does not have a freaking cell phone? Oh, wow. He does not have a smartphone. He doesn't want it in his life. And the friend who introduced us told me why, you know, just to declutter all that kind of noise. And I thought, if Vince Vaughn doesn't need a cell phone... Who the F are we to think we won't be successful without one? Because the guy clearly is nailing it. So there are good examples out there of people if you dig for them. And this too shall pass. She won't be like this forever. Thanks, Thanks Michael. Michael. Thank you. Appreciate you, man. Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It's time for the lightning round where we answer your text messages. So everyone in line, get out your phones. You got to text us. Oh, I'm cute. just kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, okay. I wouldn't make them do that. <laughs> but normally, this is where we do answer text messages. So if you have a question or a comment, you can just text us at 937-202-4654. Now, Lisa, you remember this. What we try to do during this lightning round is we answer qu people's questions with a short, shareable, less than 140-character response. We call them minimal maxims, but not really. We just ramble on a bit. <laughs> and Podcast Sean writes down something pithy that we say, and and he makes it look pretty for us. And so we'll just answer your questions like normal, but hopefully with something pithy. <laughs> Howdy, what's your name? Uh, hello, my name is Pebbles, and that's my oh. real name. What is it? Pebbles. Pebbles? Pebbles. Yeah. That's awesome. That is um, cute. Yeah. I'm from Costa Rica, and um, for me, it was actually pretty easy to let go of everything, move away. Me and my husband moved uh, to Boston three years ago. Uh, we really love it. Um, but the one thing that I ex very similar climates. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the one thing that I really struggle with, um, I love my job. I actually enjoy my office job, but I struggle with um, like what to do that it's gonna live on and stay for the rest of the, of my life with other people. Like um, the one thing that it's gonna leave a mark in the world. What would you recommend for that? So, so what you're saying is, I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. Me either. Yeah. <laughs> totally lost. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny, Lisa, I'd love to talk to you about this because I know at one point in your life you, you had these grandiose plans and of course you achieved everything you ever wanted and then some. She's selling out Carnegie Hall and it, Radio City's bigger and did that, too. Yeah, so. there you go. 
give the right credits, Josh. A... Did you not read my resume? <laughs> I'll tell you, the, the, first, the first tour stop we did in Boston, it was amazing. We, uh, we did it at a little coffee shop. This is back in 2011. And uh, when we got to the coffee shop, we realized it only held about eight people, but 20 people showed up. And we, didn't, we had never had a crowd that big before. Oh and so we went out to the street, like on the sidewalk, and just held court out there. And uh, I've never felt more successful than yeah. that night. Yeah. Um, just because, like, it all has to do with your expectations. And so when you started selling out these giant theaters and, and getting, quote, everything you ever wanted, yeah. it also seems to me that you realize that, oh, maybe that isn't what I actually wanted. It literally did nothing to make me feel better about myself. It literally... I mean, yeah, I was good at it. I was like, okay, this is great. I can earn money. You know, I can take care of my parents when they get sick, whatever. But that was pretty much the big satisfaction part of it. Then it was like, uh-oh, what do I do with my life? So I retired, as I said. I still, three, four years after retirement, have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea what my purpose will be, but I don't think I think purpose is, by the way, a faulty concept. I think we are sold a bill of goods that we all have to have purpose with a capital P. And honestly, that's bullshit. That's self-help nonsense. I think we need to not worry about leaving a mark on the world, but leaving a mark on every person we come in contact with. Because if we do everything, if I answer this question with purpose with a small p, then I've done my best, right? So all, if this is all I do the whole year, is be nice to you, be nice to you, even be nice to the guy with the seven roommates, which is crazy. <laughs> I say to myself, oh, I've drank the coffee with purpose. So please, if you could take pressure off yourself to make a mark. And I arguably have made a mark and felt it did nothing. The little things every day the smile of the per to the person, the helping this one hold the door, whatever, that's the stuff. So if you start doing every little thing with small P purpose, honestly, it ends up a big P purpose. You, you see what I mean? So that's all I got because I struggle with this every day and have to accept that's where I am. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's not easy, but you can do it. Like my pithy answer, I want to say, and Josh, help me out. Josh is my editor. <laughs> I like I'll find these like these little like you know uh, nuggets of gold, yes. and I'm like, hey man, can you turn that into the nice little bar shape that you do? Yes, yes. <laughs> I usually just add a comma, <laughs> <laughs> and it makes it beautiful. Uh, my pithy answer, I want to say, when in doubt, contribute. I mean, you can never go wrong contributing. The other the other thing I was thinking too is when in doubt, get curious. Because, you know, you, you're not going to just figure out little, little P purpose or big P purpose by just sitting there in bed and ruminating or by sitting there and watching TV and being like, oh, I should, really should do something else. Like, you have to get curious. And when you get curious, you start to take small actions here and there. And then you really start to uncover some things that you could potentially uh, cultivate as a passion. But don't put pressure on yourself to have a passion. Like, yeah. I totally agree with that. Just when in doubt, contribute. 
Who, who said the thing, be, I think it's Ted Lasso. I don't know, but the greatest spiritual leader of our time, yes. in my opinion, yes. by the way. What a great show. I know. <laughs> Talk about getting it straight. I think they say be curious, not judgmental. Oh, and the yeah. thing is, he's right with the curious, but we judge ourselves. Yeah. We go, oh, I moved here from here. I quit this job, this, that. Why aren't I doing something better? Nobody else is looking at you that way. And you're, I, guarantee, I just could tell from you and your demeanor, you're not looking at me, him, him, or her going, why don't they have a better purpose? You're just judging you. So don't judge yourself. You're going to get there when you get there, and then it'll all be clear. And whether it's little P or big P, who cares because you're just still living the life you're supposed to live. Thanks so much, Pebbles. Thank you. Thank you Howdy. I would love to say this is out of character for me, but I kind of drink and then talk. So <laughs> it's one of those things. Josh and I have found we're about we're about 10% more funny when there's alcohol at our events. Well, I feel better about people looking at me when there's alcohol involved. So <laughs> I did my hair for you today. Oh, at least What's your name? lovely. Uh, I did my hair for you. You know what? I am so glad you brushed it. I conditioned. Thank you. Yeah, you're Thank welcome. You. You're Thank welcome. You. Lisa, you are fantastic, and that was the best surprise ever. Um, I I have so many questions about my life. Lady, what's your name? Oh, (laughs) nobody needs to know who I am. I would like to be a mystery. All right, mystery. All right, mystery. I'm just kidding. My name is Jessica. Um, I'm from New Hampshire, actually. Oh wow. Um, Yes, and I got a fantastic phone call the other yesterday. I I'm gonna be honest. I had not heard of you until yesterday. That's okay. How how many people didn't hear about us until like they they they're, they're yeah they walked in or their partner was like hey we're going to this event yeah thanks go. for being uh, dragged out here kicking like, I've and heard screaming of the concept just not the two of you so I sure. looked you up I read about it you know whatever mm-hmm. my friend Kyle he's the little brother of one of my best friends from college he's in the green over there he is like my happy leprechaun. And I'm telling you, when I'm having a bad day or something's horrible, I, I don't know what the hell this kid's doing. He's, like, drinking something, and he calls me. Mm. So anyway. Hey, Jessica, water. what's your lightning round question? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a lightning anything. My life is way too fucking complicated. But anyway, we won't even talk about the fucking ex-boyfriend across the street, but we will talk about my family. <laughs> All right. I find I am the fixer in my family. Mm. And I do everything I pop, like I will throw shit away. I have no problem throwing anything away. Clutter, I hate it. I grew up in a messy house. I grew up I mean, I want everything separate from how I grew up, right? So my house is very clean, meticulous, whatever. Blah blah. Don't look at your watch. No, I'm not. Stuff. I was fixing Are, are you going to pin this yes. with a question mark? Yes. Hey. Listen. Come you. on, Jessica. I love your hair though. Anyway, so my point is, is that I'm the person in my family that takes everybody in, right? My sister leaves her husband. She lives with me. My brother leaves her. Like, everybody thinks that I have to fix all of their flipping problems. And I just totally censored that for all of you. Mm. And how do you, I can't tell you how much it's like, it weighs and ruins my life in so many ways. But it's like, at the same time, I love my family and... I'm the most loyal person I know. Like, I want my family to be okay. Sure. But at the end of the day, 
I'm the one that ends up alone fucking dealing with their bullshit. Sorry, I swore. Dealing with their crap. How do we unload that emotional baggage and mm. just say, deal with your own fucking shit? Well, yeah. Sounds like you just did. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yes, girl. I yes. did tell my sister she should listen to this. <laughs> well, here, here, here's the thing is... The fixing is a farce. There's, there's nothing to be fixed, right? We can heal. You know, it, what's funny is we try to do a bunch of things to fix our lives. Orion, a few years ago, he, was, he had a skiing accident. He broke his back. That sucks. And, and he, yeah, he broke five vertebrae in his back, and he asked the doctor, like, uh, so how do I fix this? Like, what do I need to do? And they're like, no, 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 to heal, you don't do. Like, that's the whole point, is the stopping of the doing. Because if you're doing something, it's just going to make it worse. So the more you keep doing for other people... I feel like I run a refugee camp, no joke. Like yeah, at my well, house. right, but you, you feel compelled to do that, but it's likely not their expectation. It's your own, the pressure that you put on yourself. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and, and however... Even if it is their expectation, your happiness is going to be moderated by your own expectations. You can either choose to pick up their expectations, or you can let their expectations be their expectations. So I currently have or my you could tweet that podcast. Sean. I have my 31-year-old little brother living with me because he's going out through a divorce. His five-year-old is my joy. I love her more than the world. And I tell him every day, you are only here because you have her. And I literally want to go, get the fuck out. Mm -hmm. Like, but I can't do that to her. Well, so here's the thing, though, because you're, you're a big yenta like I am. You like to get in there. You <laughs> like to fix everybody. You like everything gets tied with a bow. Okay? Yes. So, guess what? Nobody's tied with a bow. You are treating that, teaching them how to treat you. Okay. The fact is, we can stop at any time. I like you. We speak the same language. Look at me. <laughs> You, you have to look in your past with someone who knows how to do this, figure out why. Because once we figure out why we don't feel good enough about ourselves just to be, we're going to keep ruining our lives for other people. So if I had stayed in comedy when I was miserable, I would have to question why am I staying for other people? Oh, that's a pathology from childhood. So... The last thing we'll say on this, you're a good person. The fact is, though, you're eventually going to resent it and become not a good person out of resentment. So let's arrest that compulsion. Let's go and find out why we do it. And I know you can do it. And a year when these guys come back and they don't invite me... <laughs> Because I took over I their will show. Invite you. They, you okay. will say, "Hey, I said no a couple of times last year. I believe in you. You can do it. Come on, yeah. come Thanks, on." Thanks, Jessica. Thank you. Thanks, Jessica. Howdy. What's your name? So my name's Colton. 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 Yeah. What's nice on your mind? You. Uh, so I have a lot of questions because I'm barely a, over a fetus in this land. Mm -hmm. uh, so my girlfriend. Um, has introduced me to minimalism. I have watched your Netflix series, uh, your two TED Talks, and am here. So I have, for many people who might be listening to your podcast, what's the cliff notes? What's the cliff notes? 
Yeah, like if some like if somebody's just like, oh, I tuned in your podcast. Oh, like, I'll give yeah. you the cliff notes at the very end of the of the event okay. tonight. Yes. How about oh, that? Okay, yeah, yeah. then that's my question. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Thanks. All right. Yeah, Thank no you. worries. Thanks for being good. dragged out here. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Howdy. What's your name? I'm Triana Wilson, and the cliff notes it's love people and use things yeah. because the opposite never works. Babe, yeah, I told she you. Knows. Spoiler alert. I'm sorry, Josh. <laughs> I'm Triana Wilson. I'm from Iquique, Chile, um, by way of Lowell, Mass. And I'm a little nervous, so I have to just acknowledge the icon before me, Lisa Lampanelli. Oh. I have been following your comedy since I was a fetus, and thank you for dismantling the patriarchy in Comedy Central and every rose. You drag those boys through the mud yeah. and left no crumbs. Yeah. So you uh, inspire me to be a braver female musician, and I appreciate you. So I just had to say that. Now, you guys. Oh, so about eight years ago, my mom died, and my relationship ended all in the same month. And even when Rome was burning, I found the time to try to feel that compulsion and stumble about these two goofy kids on a TED Talk and you too, who barely knew how to walk around the stage and had the wig and the, the little Nokia cell phone you and the boxes. You were wearing that, weren't you? And... What the hell are we doing? <laughs> I, was in, I was in the process of um, dismantling my mother's home and throwing anything away felt like it was painful. And I know you know that, of course, and lots of people probably. But your message single-handedly like changed my life and the trajectory of it. And I know a lot of people feel this way here too, which makes me feel so at home with you folks. But um, I also want to acknowledge that in, uh, in being out of that relationship, you guys were the voices in my home because of your podcast. When you were barely talking about somebody, engage with us on the Apple podcast so we can climb up. And I was there texting everything. Um, but also how you model a healthy male-to-male -male loving relationship. I, w I have to acknowledge that. I have to. I have been to all your talks in Boston, the 300. I was the Wilbird and so sick in 2017. So I hated not getting in the line, but I didn't want to get you sick. And I don't say that to, to say, you know, I'm one of the OGs, but I am. Um, it's to say that that's how much your message resonated with me. Tonight I was like, if there's a line, oh my God, if they have a line today for the first time, just, just grow, grow a pair, get up there, just say thank you, mainly. But I think it's so important to model that, and you do it so well, in your kindness. Um, the last thing I will say, and I do have a question, sorry about that, guys. Um, every time that I've been to one of your live shows, and I've seen it in the podcast, it's been asked everywhere, uh, usually a partner will ask, how do I get my maximalist partner to be on board? I have seen it often being a male partner, but it's never been quite acknowledged that women have twice as many things because of the way that we've been conditioned to live. Like, I'm not saying it's not our choice to have makeup and things, but I'm talking about pink tax and uh, systemic oppression, which is um, very important to acknowledge because a guy will look at one of our closets and be like, how, why? Well, I have no pockets because my pants aren't made that way and it forces me to put my wallet and my keys in this thing that I don't want to carry, but it, it, this is how they turn me into a consumer to have that, right? Um, it is my choice to have it, but I, I buy only men jeans now. 
um, the quality of the goods is different, which forces us to continue to buy more often. All of the message of toxicity that are in media towards women are that you aren't enough, so you need the makeup, so you need the thing, so you need the, that, right? And they've actually um, plagued uh, the male side of things as well, where they're telling them, you know, you're not enough and you have to buy all these products to make yourself look a certain way. But in turn, I invite all the men here, and maybe you guys can dig a little deeper in one of your podcasts, to see, look at your girlfriend's goods, pick up a shirt, and see how poorly it's made and how the material is made and how often we are forced to buy. And for, for a demographic that, by the way, doesn't even get equal pay. So we have to acknowledge a little bit of that difference, I think. It's important to. And you guys have done an amazing job. And congratulations to Mary Mariah and Bex. It's amazing. Um, I follow her work, too. But um, so I just wanted to say that that's something that I've always heard uh, male part partners say about their female partners here. And, and it's never been discussed extensively. My question is actually, um, I've been told a little bit uh, by some people that give me pushback on minimalism. And I've been doing it for nine, eight years now since I discovered you guys that it can be a little bit elitist and privileged in that, and I come from a poor country, so I don't feel that way, asking people who have or lower means to be, to leave some of their things and their goods behind, right? Do you think that's what we're doing? I don't feel that way in my question, not at all, not, not even a little bit. I think that it doesn't matter whether you have means for things and not, you can always put down the weight of anything. The weight of responsibility, like Jennifer, the weight of media, the weight of, it doesn't have to be a physical thing. I, I get your message is more about than, than about stuff. But my question is, how do you challenge, right? And has it ever come up to you that they say, oh, it's for a certain demographic or it, minimalism looks this way? Yeah, look around. You know? I mean, yeah. if you go come to any of our events, they're, they're rather diverse, but I'm not talking about diverse just in ethnicity, they're diverse in different socioeconomic backgrounds, young, old, rich, poor, straight, gay, transgender people, all different walks of life. Why is that though? The reason being is we're fed up with the excess. As you so eloquently talked about here, we have been culturally programmed. We've been acculturated to believe we must consume in order to what? be happier, more complete. And people have tried that. Many people have tried that. Poor people have tried that. Because by the way, if you're poor in America, Ryan and I grew up really poor, really, really poor, but we weren't poor relative to your average poor person in Nairobi, right? And, or Malawi. And, and so it's all relative. In fact, we've gotten emails from people in Kenya saying, you know, can you come speak in Kenya? And I'm like, yeah, we can. But being where we are right now, what it tells me is that we, well, what is minimalism? Minimalism is the intentional use of the resources that you have. When Ryan and I were growing up really poor, people often say, well, yeah, I, I grew up as a minimalist. I was broke. Well, that's not being minimalist. We weren't very intentional with the resources we had, and that's why we stayed where we were, and that's why we lived chaotic lives. Is it possible to be poor and be a minimalist? Absolutely. Is it possible to be rich and be a minimalist? Absolutely. It's about using whatever resource you have intentionally. Money, though, is just one resource. 
You have your skills, you have your time, you have your energy, you have your attention. These are precious resources, and we squander them. But of course, there's no refund for misspent attention. You could tweet that podcast, Sean. Yeah, and, and how you say that minimalism, and to me, is about the things that matter, which aren't things at all. Right. I completely get that in your message. Yeah. So to me, I get what you guys are doing. I guess the question is not if you had been challenged in that only because it had happened a couple of times where people gave me that pushback. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I wasn't quick to come up with... I'm like, well, I'll ask the minimalist if they're there tonight. Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, we, we're over on time, and I want to get mm-hmm. to try to get to one Sorry. more question yeah. if possible. Well, I, my pithy answer would be minimalism is, is the answer to chaos. And no matter how where you fall on the socioeconomic level, there are these things called thought-terminating cliches that people have to, to shut down ideologies. And when someone says minimalism is for privileged people, really what they're saying is, is I could never be a minimalist, and here's a thought-terminating cliche that I can tell myself to put up a wall and not look at it. And to that I say, have fun building your wall. That's perfect. Oh, Thank you. That's boy. exactly That's good. So That's much. beautiful. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Appreciate Thank you. you. I apologize to everyone else in line. We'll do one more. If you promise me, you got a question mark right around the corner. All right, all right, Beautiful. let's do it. I'll, I'll take the question mark. Okay. Okay. Oh, oh my God! I, 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 I'll, I'll definitely take the question mark. What is your name, Sean? Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out, podcast, Sean. We'll we'll take the same name. Yeah. Wait, how do you time. spell your name though? S E A N. Oh, okay. All right. Is that good? All right. Is that good here? Right. <laughs> no, it's fine. What's right. on your mind, cool. brother? What's up, man? Uh, Big honors getting the last question, but I would like to say you got, I'd like to hop on the train of you guys changed my life as well. Not in the sense of like, hey, get a pod and throw all your shit out, but more in the sense of a new perspective for the first time I ever saw like, hey, if that job pisses you off, you don't have to stay there. If that person pisses you off, you don't have to be around them. So let's get rid of them. The question that I have and have experienced the most on my journey of minimalism is not so much of letting go of stuff, it's letting go of friends and family. There was an old me before minimalism who kind of just went with the flow, conditioned a certain way, experienced things a certain way. And then there was after where I realized, I don't like some of those things, I don't like some of those people whether it's friends or family. So when it comes to decluttering your stuff, I feel like that's pretty easy. But when it comes to decluttering your people, I feel like that's pretty hard, depending on how long you've known them, if they're related to you, if it's a relationship that's gone on for a long time. So there is a question here, and as a last question, I would like to ask, how do you guys go about decluttering your people when you realize they're not for a per goal, happiness, or any other perspective of what you're trying to get to. And that is my question. Well, I decluttered two major friendships after the COVID thing because I had a 35-year friendship that I just never questioned why it was always so worry-making and anxiety-provoking with me. And I'm not a really big anxious person, but I'm like, wow, this is not working for me anymore. And I had the best shrink in the world. And she said, the answer to anything is really, this doesn't work for me. And it doesn't matter why. 
It's nobody's fault. It's not her. It's not me. It's just the combination doesn't work. And I literally, just the minute I knew it, just like with quitting comedy, I just knew it enough to take action and write a handwritten letter and said, clearly this isn't working anymore. I wish you nothing but the best and give her good thoughts that way. And that's her journey then to process that. So I think it's a brave move. I think it's badass to get people out of your life if they don't serve you anymore. But also it's badass more to be like, oh, it's not their fault. We just don't work together. I don't like when people say I dated a toxic guy or a toxic girl. No, the relationship was toxic because of the combination. That person's other than a sociopath or you know, a truly diagnosed narcissist, I mean a diagnosed one that it's not just a buzzword. Truly, people are just fine. They're doing the best they can. But if they don't work for you anymore, you have to, with honor, end the relationship. And I applaud you for even noticing that at your age, because I'm 60 and still figuring it out. So good for you, Sean. You good for 60. I look so good for 60. (laughs) Thank you, Sean. (laughs) Do you guys agree? Yeah, 100%. Amen. Yeah. My pithy answer would be... uh, Something along the lines of, if you don't set your own boundaries, other people will set them for you. Mm. And that's a dangerous path to go down. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a hard conversation to have, but a, a needed one. Right. Yeah. Simple ain't easy. Happy people don't spend all their time with miserable people. Mm. Because if you do, they're going to make you miserable. If you spend your time with a bunch of negative people, they're going to make you negative. If you spend your time with a bunch of Depressed people, they're going to make you depressed. You spend your time with a bunch of people who are wallowing in despair, you're going to feel despair, right? Whoever you're spending your time with, that's who you become. And unfortunately, most of our relationships, and you have found this out recently, like, oh yeah, all these relationships, they weren't bad people. The relationship becomes toxic because... Well, the relationship was simply birthed out of proximity or convenience, right? But maybe they didn't share the similar interests as me. Maybe they don't have the values. And so get really clear on what your values are and also get clear on what the people around you, what their values are. We have a, a free values worksheet on our, on our website. You can just go download it from the resources page. And you can really understand what your values are because if you know what you value you're going to stop spending time with people who don't value the same things that you do, Sean. Thanks for being here tonight, brother. Yeah. Thanks, thanks man. Guys. And thanks for the last question. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I want to thank a few people before we wrap up. What about this amazing venue, the Armory? Let's give them a round of applause. Woo! We were talking to Jay Nash backstage. He, um, Ryan and I realized we've been listening to his music for 15 years now. And I know some people like go crazy about certain musicians. Like people really look up to, uh, I don't know, Justin Bieber and BTS. But like we feel that way about Jay Nash. And it's such an honor to have him open up the show today. Of course, I want to thank uh, the Queen of Meaning for being here tonight, Lisa Lampanelli. I love you guys guys so much. Thank you. 
This is the end of this little wave, and um, I wanted to bring Danny Unknown up here and just give him a hug on stage. Thank him for filming all of our events. Danny, get your butt up here. Danny came on board with The Minimalist earlier this summer, and he's been doing an outstanding job for our podcast. If you've ever seen any of our Instagram reels or TikToks, he's responsible for all of those. Danny, thank you for being here. And as always, hiding in the shadows, ladies and gentlemen, podcast Sean on the ones and twos. Oh, and there's one more person I got to thank. And that person is you. You know, I don't know where you've been before now. I don't know where you are in your life right now. And I don't know where you're going from here. I'm really grateful you decided to spend an evening with us. Yeah, you spent some money to get in here, and that's great. But you spent your most precious resource, your time, and your attention to be here tonight. And if you leave here tonight with just one message... Please, let it be this. Love people and use things. Because the opposite never works. Yeah. Thanks for listening, y'all. Thank you, Boston. Thank you Good so night. much. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it.